Hello, everybody. Welcome to ANO's inaugural APAC M&A Insights podcast. This is Felipe Luque speaking. I am a partner in the capital markets practice based out of Singapore um, and looking primarily at transactions out of Southeast Asia. Um, it is our pleasure to welcome you. The discussion today is SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. You've probably heard about these in the news. Um, they've been quite prominent. Uh, especially over the past six months, where a phenomenon that we had seen in the United States over the past couple of years, where blank check companies basically had been IPOing themselves on the U.S. exchanges with a mandate to find a target to consummate an acquisition within 24 months of formation, have been increasingly active in our region. SPACs are not new. They've been around for 20, 25 years, but macroeconomic conditions, interest rates, the integration of the capital markets globally really have seen the resurgence over the past couple of years. And lately, over the past few months, we have started to see some interesting transactions out of Southeast Asia and APAC generally. So we have seen the Renew Power business combination out of India, Grab, of course, out of Singapore, a couple out of China, including Plus. And it's, it's a very exciting moment to be involved in these markets because U.S. listings generally had been few and far between. I think other than C or Garena a couple of years ago, you had to go back nearly a couple of decades actually to find another U.S. listing out of Southeast Asia in particular. And so it's hugely exciting to think that there are a few hundred SPACs scouring the globe looking for targets and that those targets have started to include operating companies in Southeast Asia who then following the business combination with the SPAC themselves become listed. So with us today are two of my partners, Sugyant Osman, who is based in Jakarta and is focused primarily on Indonesia, and Tina Ledin, who is one of our partners in Vietnam and is very active in that market as well. So it's our great pleasure, in fact, to be involved and just to talk a little bit about what we are seeing in the market, um, in particular in, in Indonesia, and in, in Vietnam, and, and to some extent, I think the trends and the dynamics that we're seeing in, in those actually quite huge markets and potentially very rich sources of target companies are equally applicable to the region generally, I think, because it is a phenomenon that we're experiencing collectively. I guess perhaps, why don't we start with you, Tina, if you could maybe let us know a little bit about yourself and your practice. And then after that, if you wanted to touch upon capital structures, what you're seeing in terms of your market, things that are relevant to deal execution, just a regulatory framework, anything that you think might be of interest to this audience. Sure. Thanks, Felipe. So I'm actually a New York qualified lawyer, but I've been in Vietnam for more than a decade. I'm focusing on complex cross-border M&A and capital markets transactions. Sometimes we represent the Vietnamese issuer, sometimes we represent the foreign investor. So it's quite a varied practice and we've had the opportunity to work on some of the most exciting transactions in the market. That's been a real privilege. We have seen some interest from SPACs around certain Vietnamese targets in the tech sector. The actual active transactions that we've worked on are part of a bigger transaction where there's a Vietnamese component to a company that's headquartered elsewhere in Southeast Asia. But I know that there are SPACs that have been looking particularly at Vietnam. And I think that outside of 
the normal doing business in Vietnam, entering Vietnam considerations. One of the challenges of a SPAC combination here in Vietnam is targeting a company that might be subject to a foreign ownership limit. So there are ways that in the past people have found to work around those constraints. But I think with the new enterprise law, the new securities laws, the regulators have really looked into how we decide what types of investments should be open to foreign investors. They've come out with a negative list that's similar to the one that we see in Indonesia. And so that's a big consideration and a big hurdle in spec combinations here in Vietnam is if you're targeting a company that has a foreign ownership limitation, how do you work within those constraints? That's really interesting. Thank you, Tina. Um, Sugi, how about in Indonesia, from your perspective, I think, so Tina mentioned negative list, which obviously has some, some relevance in Indonesia as well, but are you seeing anything else around capital structures or pressures to list domestically or class A or class B shares, anything like that that you want to mention? Thanks, Felipe. Yes, very much so. I think just by way of background, I'm a corporate m and partners in Jakarta, and for the past five years, I've been working a lot on tech transactions as well, and that's very much coincide with the spec phenomenon, mainly because of the need of a lot of the Indonesian tech companies looking for a listing. And that is typically a U.S. listing that everybody has in mind. Now, Felipe and, and, and Tina discussed about the capital structure, and that's also a very key point in connection with the whole SPAC discussion. And that's mainly because of the potential tax arising from transfer of secondary shares of the Indonesian tech companies. And most, I think in the early part of when tech companies were established back in 2010, 2011, a lot of them were established as Indonesian companies. Obviously, as operating companies or investors invest directly into the Indonesian companies. Over time, that practice has been shifted somewhat in having intermediary hotko, and that oftentimes is a Singapore company with the investors holding their shares in the Singapore company. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there's an important tax aspect in connection with this because of the tax rule in Indonesia, the capital gain tax effectively applies to transfer of secondary shares. And that obviously means the potential cost to the transaction. Typically, in a typical M&A transaction or exit route taken, it will involve a local IPO which allows, which significantly helps with respect to the tax costs involved because the, invest, the, the shareholders will only need to have, uh, pay 0.5 plus 0.1% tax in the event of a sale post-listing as opposed to paying the normal capital gain tax in a non-IPO scenario. So that's always placed in the company's mind in connection with the spec scenario. So to your point, to your question, Felipe, I think capital structure does play a significant role. And that's actually uh, the first thing that will have to be assessed. And this also means that I think long-term planning should be put in place, ideally at the beginning of a tech company's uh, formation. Yeah, absolutely. I think in some ways what we are experiencing is, is a live experiment out of Southeast Asia because you are combining U.S. public M&A, right? The, the SPAC is a listed company in the United States with private targets in Southeast Asia that in some cases are subject to regulatory frameworks that are somewhat more constrictive than elsewhere in the world. And so I actually find it fascinating. And part of what I really like about the latest wave of SPACs and, and how it's affecting our markets is solving some of those puzzles that some of these transactions throw up. Tina, back to you, I guess. 
In that vein, is there any particular legal or regulatory development that you think would make SPAC combinations easier or impede them with operating companies with targets in, in Vietnam? Or to ask it another way, is, is what should a, a SPAC looking for a target in Vietnam be thinking of that perhaps they don't have on their radar, but they should? Thanks, Felipe. I think other than the foreign ownership limits that we were talking about earlier, one of the things that investors need to keep in mind is that Vietnam has very strict capital control. So I think when you're structuring any type of transaction, but including a SPAC combination, you'd need to give a lot of consideration to tax accounting, legal structuring, just to make sure that there's as you would in other jurisdictions, that you're tax optimizing and making sure that the capital controls don't impede your structure in any way. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the same question for you out of, out of Indonesia. Is, is there something that is intrinsic or idiosyncratic to Indonesia that foreign buyers should be thinking about that perhaps they're not aware of? I think there's a lot of similarity between what Tina mentioned, i.e. the situation in Vietnam, that in Indonesia, in the sense that there's also a negative list, right? But the Indonesian government has been taken measure to actually cut down on the number of sectors in the negative list. But still, there is still the negative list in place, right? So that's obviously one key consideration in terms of doing a spec of an Indonesian OPCO. Again, the typical structure involved in a situation like that is to take that very company IPO, i.e. a local listing. Yes, it will create a number of structural and commercial issues even where you have a local listed company and then a spec, right? And I think part of that process is really understanding the detail process involved and the timeline. Yeah, absolutely. So potentially you could wind up with a, a kind of technical domestic listing with an offshore SPAC shareholder that pursues the offshore listing. That's fascinating. Tina, Sugi, thank you very much for your time. This has been really, really interesting. I think just to round up, I think the takeaways that I have are the starting conditions are challenging because the SPAC phenomenon wasn't necessarily contemplated at the time that investments were made in what is a very exciting, dynamic tech, new economy sector in ASEAN generally. However, I guess we take that puzzle as it is. And one of the challenges associated with what is in some ways, transactions of first impression or happening for the first time out of ASEAN is, is taking those conditions and applying them to a highly sophisticated, highly demanding in some ways, but they're very rewarding from a valuation perspective, U.S. public capital markets and also dealing with the regulatory frameworks that we have in ASEAN, whether it's negative list or capital controls or requirements around the company law for the opcos. It's all very fascinating. So once again, thank you, Sylvia and Tina, for uh, the discussion. And thank you for our listeners. It's been a pleasure.